Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth, Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. It is, uh, I don't know, it's 8 September. I didn't write the date down. I'm assuming it's 8 September. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, 8 September. It's uh, Sunday, time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And I have something that came in the mail this week. Some of you will be delighted, and you'll say, I want to try it, and you probably won't get a chance because there's only a few. But uh, some of you will be like, please get those out of here as quickly as possible. I got from Thailand some durian cookies. Okay, the person that sent them didn't send any letter or anything. So I don't know if they attend online. I don't know if, I, I don't know them personally. And so if this was sent by somebody that attends the Superior Word online, I would appreciate if they would send me an email and let me know so I can thank you. And, and all the way from Thailand, all it was was durian cookies and a... a uh, container. That was it. They look so. like little hurricanes. They, they are little hurricanes. They're little twisty things. And these, if you don't know what durian is, most people do because uh, they uh, watch the Prophecy Update enough to know this, but durian is the king of fruit. It is the most wonderful, delicious fruit that you will ever eat in your life. Um, uh, it, it's one of those fruit that I, I could just eat every day of my life and still not have enough of it. I, I, I know that there is a God because of durian. Okay. <laughs> There you go. Okay. Um, and we have also, Ron is back this week. He's here for one more week after this. Uh, we mentioned him a week ago and then two weeks ago when we did the baby dedication for his grandson. But this week he came up and spent a couple days with me. And Ron learned how to open coconuts this week. And so I will enclose a couple of photos on the Prophecy Update of him doing that. And the last one shows it's proof that he actually got the thing open. It's not as easy as it looks, is it? It, 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 it can be very difficult if you don't know how to do or if you've never done it. Once you got the knack of it, you can open a coconut really quick. But before I forget, and nothing to do with the Prophecy Update, but there are two coconuts back there. I had about eight or ten to bring to the church today, and Hitako took them all. So uh, she took them to her friends at work. But there are two, so if you would like a coconut on your way out, please grab it. And let's see here. Our first category, as always, is Israel. And from Aritz Shiva Honduras finally does it. They recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. And then from the Times of Israel, Honduran president lands in Israel to open diplomatic office in Jerusalem. Honduran president Hernandez arrived in Israel for a diplomatic visit that will include the inauguration of a diplomatic office in Jerusalem. The move, which expresses recognition of the city as Israel's capital, has angered the Pakistanians who have vowed to file a complaint at the United Nations, which will go nowhere. The diplomatic office in the city will be an extension of Honduras's Tel Aviv-based embassy. Then from the Jerusalem Post, believe it or not, anybody ever heard of Nauru, N-A-U-R-U? Republic of Nauru recognizes Jerusalem as Israel's capital. This is a big move for Israel, I assure you that. In a letter, the country's mission to the UN in New York wrote to the Israeli mission on the matter. It stated the mission of Nauru has the honor to convey the decision of the government of the Republic of Nauru to formally recognize the city of Jerusalem as the capital city of the state of Israel. The island country from the Pacific joined a small number of other countries who have taken this step in the last several years, including U.S., Guatemala, and Honduras. This is smaller than Gilligan's Island. I am telling you, this is... 
Go look online at Nauru, okay? It is about this big. It's got a runway on one side of it. It's like, you know, one of the atolls that they used to use for uh, bombing out of uh, World War II. It's, it's teeny. And yet they have taken the step, the initiative, to come forward and recognize this. That's a real... I, I, it is. It's amazing. Some little country in the middle of nowhere loves Israel enough to say, we're going to do this. <laughs> Wonderful. From Weasel Zippers, Pompeo says U.S. will give Israel diplomatic, legal, and military resupply support in any war with Iran. Pompeo, first with uh, respect to the Islamic Republic of Iran, we flipped the United States policy there, and for good, I'll say that. The previous administration guaranteed Iran a path to nuclear weapon systems, allowed them to foment terror, and allowed their missile system to run amok. President Trump has directed that we do just the opposite, to deny them the resources to create risks not only for the United States and its citizens, but for Israel as well. And we've been successful with that. We've had also been incredibly supportive each time Israel has been forced to take the actions to defend itself. The United States has made it very clear that the country has not only the right, but the duty to protect its own people. And we've been seeing that over the past few weeks as these proxy wars have been going on. And Israel's gone in, as we saw last week, to four different countries in order to take care of business where Iran is coming against them. And we are always supportive of their efforts to do that. So, with respect to ensuring that Israel is treated fairly at the United Nations, Israel can certainly count on the United States of America. Good job there. Um, Iran is now cutting more things out of the JCPOA that they agreed to, and they are uh, starting to ramp up some new centrifuges, which they believe they could have enough uh, fissible material within a year now uh, with these going. And so they are, they're pushing all kinds of buttons, they will receive something shortly. Probably a package from Israel would be my guess if they don't yeah. stop this. But we'll see where it goes. From uh, Jerusalem Post, Netanyahu pledges to apply sovereignty to all West Bank settlements. This does not mean all of Yesha, meaning Judea and Samaria, but all of the settlements which are in Yesha. Okay, he has said that we are going to apply sovereignty to them. There will be no more uprooting of settlements, Netanyahu said. With God's help, we will apply Jewish sovereignty over all communities as a part of the land of Israel and the state of Israel. We're building new homes here, he said. This is a new home that is an old home. This is the old original home of the Jewish people, and we will build more in Elkanah. We will not uproot anyone here. He was speaking in Elkanah. That's why he said that. There will be no more Gush Katif, he added in reference to the 2005 disengagement plan in which Israel destroyed 21 settlements in Gaza and four in northern Samaria. Remember the results of that? All they've had is people lob in more bombs right from Gaza because they pulled out of there. They gave them all the houses and... That everything has just been very bad since they've done that. So it's good that he's made this stand. From Arch Shiva, U.S. considering including Jerusalem, Israel, on passports. Secretary of State Pompeo said that the Trump admin is considering allowing U.S. citizens who were born in Jerusalem to list Jerusalem, Israel, on their U.S. passports. While the Trump admin recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, State Department policy still does not allow for the indication of Jerusalem as being a part of Israel on passports of United States citizens. We're constantly evaluating the way we can handle what can be listed on passports. It's something that's actively being looked at. 
The announcement comes as a major development after a State Department spokesman told JNS in October, the president has made clear that specific boundaries of Israel's sovereignty in Jerusalem remain subject to final status negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinian Arabs. We have not changed our practice regarding place of birth on passports or consular reports of birth abroad at this time. So that's what it was a couple months ago, and now they're actually talking about maybe changing that policy. My guess is that it will happen. Knowing our president and how friendly he has been towards Israel in the past couple of years, it will happen. But from Christian News, we have somebody that attends the Superior Word Online, Ray Dell. Um, is Delbury, actually, but I call him Ray Dell. He's going to Uganda to be with Isaac, who we've mentioned many times. Uh, he's going to be there on October 15th, and he's asked for prayer. So if you know Ray Dell, keep him in prayer because I think he's a little, you know, intrepid about flying all across the world. And intrepid, is that the word? Uh, scared. Scared, whatever. I don't want to say scared. I'm trying to think of a word to not say scared. But anyway, um, he uh, he is going, and Isaac is one of those people that does more. He's an indigenous Ugandan. He does more for the people of Uganda than probably the entire government. He is such a blessing over there. He, he's got piggery projects that he, you know, he brought in pigs, and when they had their pig problem, he was the only guy that inoculated them. They all lived. All of the piglets, he passes them out to people, and now they have... Uh, uh, pigs in their own farms. He uh, builds schools for people. He, he just goes on and on and on. He's just tireless. He's had malaria three times in the past couple of years. He just keeps going. He gets the flu. He says, I just got to keep going. You know, he just unbelievable. So Ray is going to go over and see the mission work over there in uh, personally, and he's going to ask for prayers on that. Okay, from the Christian Post, Yale professor, computer scientist, rejects Darwinism, now finds intelligent design compelling. Now, I knew about this a couple months ago because Sergio posted a video of this guy with two other people having a debate about Darwinism, evolution, intelligent design, etc. But this is now in the news, and he's publicly making this stand. And I believe professor of computer science has abandoned Darwinism and denounced evolution as an improbable scientific theory. Now, before I go on and read this, I will say that evolution has not one, not one bone of evidence to support it. There's not one bone of evidence to support the evolutionary model. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was probably eight to ten years ago, you probably remember it made the uh, front page of many newspapers uh, and magazines, Ida, the fossil, oh, it was this yeah. long thing with a long tail, and they said they have found the missing link. Yeah. And so people started debating this and saying it's great, it proves uh, Darwinism, etc. And I went out right away and I said, it's not, this is not the missing link, guaranteed we'll find out very shortly that it's not, and it just disappeared. And come to find out what happened is Ida, the fossil, was mislabeled. It was mischaracterized, and it wasn't the missing link. Now. <laughs> If you had no missing link before Ida the Fossil, and Ida the Fossil wasn't the missing link, then what does that tell you? There's still no missing link. There's not one bone of evidence on this planet to support the evolutionary model. There's plenty of evidence to support the Bible. The Bible has never been refuted. Not everything in the Bible has been proven true, but nothing in the Bible has ever been proven false. And so that's a very important, yeah, not yet. I mean, we have plenty of time in, uh, when the Lord comes back in the millennial kingdom to prove everything. But right now, that is the way it is. So we'll continue on. Intelligent design, he now says, is an argument worthy of deeper consideration. Okay, intelligent design is caving in on one's 
you know, values. That's all it is. If you believe in intelligent design, that means you must believe in an intelligent designer. You cannot have design without a designer. So it's a way of saying, well, I want to accept that this is obviously intelligently designed, but I don't want to look like a kook and say I believe that there's a creator that actually did this. But he's he's making progress, so we'll give him that. David Galertner, who has taught computer science at Yale University since 1982, the year I graduated high school, so he's been around a long time, penned an article earlier this year in the Claremont Review of Books detailing his journey of coming to believe that Darwinian evolution, for which he still retains some fond feelings, calling it brilliant and beautiful, is wrong. How can something wrong be brilliant and beautiful? Once again, he's kind of waffling on this because he doesn't want people to kick him out of his professorship or something, so he says something like that. Anyway, Charles Darwin's On the Origin of Species was published in November 1859 and is widely considered to be the foundation of evolutionary biology. Okay, if you want to watch that video I just referenced that Sergio had posted on his wall, it's very good. I guarantee you'll enjoy it if you like a, a decent discussion where people actually use their their thoughts while they're talking. It's called um, Mathematical Challenges to Darwin's Theory of Evolution. You will like it. It's got one person that is very good as a moderator. He doesn't get one way or the other. He doesn't get excited. He just moderates. And you've got one guy that's intelligent design, this guy who's coming out of intelligent design. Then you get a couple of guys that just don't want to talk about intelligent design, but they're not sure where to go in life. So there you go. From Fox Democrat Party embraces non-religious voters, criticizes religious liberty in new resolution. So this is where the Democrat Party of the United States is going. The DNC passed a resolution praising the values of religiously unaffiliated Americans as the largest religious group within the Democrat Party. The resolution, which was unanimously passed was championed by the Secular Coalition of America, an organization that lobbies on behalf of atheists, agnostics, and humanists on public policy. The group celebrated the DNC's move as the first time a major party embraced American non-believers. They have been moving this way very quickly over the past few cycles. They're really going now. Religiously unaffiliated Americans overwhelmingly share the Democrat Party's values. So they're saying that we, we that's our values. We don't believe in God. We don't want anything to do with him. That's where they're heading, and that's where they are, said the resolution, which adds they should advocate for rational public policy based on sound science and universal humanistic values. This sounds exactly like what got um, people like uh, Adolf Hitler into power. And, you know, you have the, uh, the Aryan race is better than everybody else and et cetera, et cetera. And this is exactly what's happening here. Anyway, um, and communism favors that as well. How many people did Stalin wipe out? Um, it says Sarah Levin. That's a Jewish name, by the way. Director of Governmental Affairs for the Secular Coalition of America praised it as a way to ensure that policy is driven by science and evidence, not sectarian beliefs. The move comes as the Democrat presidential candidates have ramped up their religious rhetoric on the campaign trail, but the party announced it as targeting non-religious voters to try to beat President Trump. Well, they already have them. They already have them. They're just preaching to their own crowd that they already have. So they're not getting anywhere with that one, but they, uh, Trump had so solidified the evangelical vote in 2016. America was founded as a secular government, they said, charged with representing and protecting the freedoms of people of all faiths and none, Levin added. 
She said, I am proud to see the Democrat Party take that to heart by bringing secular Americans into the fold. I would like to refute right now what she said, that uh, America was founded as a secular government. Trinity Decision of 1892. I don't know if any of you have read that. I've referenced it a couple times in Prophecy Updates, and I imagine most people have not read it. But if you want to know what the truth of the government of the United States is, that was the longest uh, Supreme Court decision review in the history of the United States of America. They spent over 10 years evaluating all, all of the founding documents of this nation. And their conclusion is, this is a Christian nation. That's correct. That has never been overturned by the Supreme Court of the United States of America, and therefore it is jurisprudence in the United States. This is a Christian nation. Despite what our previous president said, it is the law of the land. And until they overturn that, that is the way it is. And even if they overturn it, all they're doing is overturning history because the records that they researched all prove that this is a Christian nation. So please keep that in mind is what they're saying in the Democrat Party is not only anti-God, anti-Christ, but it is also anti-Constitution. It is anti-founding fathers, etc. Okay, from Breitbart. Jesuit chief. No country has the right to turn away migrants. Now remember, our current pope up there in, uh, in the Vatican was a Jesuit, or he is a Jesuit. He's the first one in the line of these people. But they hold to this policy, and that's why he's making all of these moves up there. And this is one of his cohorts right here saying that we have no right to turn away migrants. The superior general of the Jesuits declared this week that no country has the right to turn away migrants, claiming the land belongs to everyone. The challenge for a country, I bet you if somebody went to his house, because the house is a part of any land, and they went in and says, we're just moving in, he'd say, you can't do that. Yeah, he needs yeah. to take all his big walls down. Yeah, he needs to yeah. take the walls down at the Vatican, and he needs to let his doors be open and everything in his house become his, because that's basically what communism is. Everybody gets everything, let him prove it. All right, but the challenge for a country that receives migrants is not only reception, but integration, which means receiving the contribution that immigrants bring. They have brought in immigrants into uh, Europe over the past many years, and these people have not assimilated. And they did a study, I read it this week, it's like 50 or more percent of them are on complete welfare. They don't do anything for the society, and most of them, the vast majority of them are on some type of government subsidy. So they're not going in and doing what he's saying anyway. But Italians must remember their own experience. They came to Latin America, including my country of Venezuela. So now it's his country. Okay? He's not thinking clearly because he's saying there's no countries, there's no right to kick people out of countries, and yet he's saying that he is a citizen of a country. All right? And they were welcomed. Well, he fails to admit that they all went in legally. They entered, they applied for moving there, and then they moved in. But whatever. Uh, they became part of the society in the same way as everyone else. And today they are not considered different. That's because they were welcomed into the society, they became productive in the society, and they became citizens. He just admitted that. But that is not what he is talking about. He's saying everybody has a right to go anywhere they want without any constraints at all. He said, drawing somewhat dubious comparison between the largely legal migration of Italians to South America and Europe's largely unregulated migrant crisis. In Europe, we must recognize the contribution that migrants make to the societies that receive them and thank them for it. Then, in one of his more controversial claims, Father Sosa said that nations have no right to enforce their borders because in the end, the land belongs to everyone. 
Those who live in a given territory have no right to turn away migrants, he said, because they have no absolute right to the territory. Once again, as you said with the Vatican, if they take down the wall and just let everybody come on in, they're not going to do that. They have security guards. They've got the Vatican police with their funny-looking clothes and their funny hats and little spears, and they're not going to be able to defend themselves, but they're not going to let those walls down either. Everyone so, but me. Everyone but me, yes, NIMBY, not in my backyard. Those who live in a given territory have no rights to turn away migrants because they have no absolute right to the territory. They do not own it. The goods of the land are for everyone. I do not see a conflict of rights, those of migrants and those of, who already live in the place. Everyone's rights are the same. The first is to be recognized as human beings equal to all other human beings. Nobody disputes that. Everybody is equal in humanity. Nobody disputes that, I wouldn't think, other than, you know, somebody who's just a racist and doesn't like this group or that group or whatever. But there is a legal way of doing things. And as I say week after week, I've got a friend in Israel that's applied to move here. He's done it the legal way. He's been waiting for years to get here. And he will be a valuable asset to this society, bringing in intelligence, bringing in money, bringing in a business. And yet he has to wait. But they want people to just come over the border without any restrictions at all and just take over and do whatever they want. It doesn't work that way. But there you go. That is what is going on from the Vatican and his society of Jesuit believers. Okay, from... They what? Very liberal. That's correct. From Islam today, Times of Israel. In first, UN panel calls the Palestinians to halt hate speech against the Israelis. This is the first time this has ever happened. All right. It has always been one resolution after another, after another, 11 or 12 or 15 every single year against Israel. Totally siding with them. Here's what it says. United Nations Anti-Racism Committee criticized Palestinian authorities calling on the state of Palestine to act against racist hate speech and hate crimes, including incitement to violence against Israelis and Jews. Never happened before. The UNCERD, in a report on the Palestinians, said it was concerned about hate speech in certain media outlets, especially those controlled by Hamas, social media, public official statements, and school curricula and textbooks, which fuels hatred and may incite violence, especially hate speech against Israelis. Well, we know about the school books because we talked about that many times. The, uh, what is it, the British government sends them money. And then they come to find out that they're down there publishing in school how to kill Jews in their publications, little pictures of how children can go and kill other Jews, and they keep giving them money for this. Well, they're finally st telling them you got to stop this. It says um, the report marked the first time the panel had criticized Palestinian officials. The committee called on Ramallah to better protect journalists, human rights activists, and political dissidents to act against incitement to violence by public figures, politicians, and media officials, and to remove inflammatory and discriminatory images and text from school curricula and textbooks. So we'll see if that happens. All right, but at least the UN has finally done this after years and years and years of it being one-sided, they finally realized what is going on down there. From the Metro, man 19 killed and nine injured after Knifeman goes on stabbing rampage in Lyon. This was happening as we were in church last week. A young man has been killed and nine others were left injured after a Knifeman went on a stabbing rampage in the French city of Lyon. The victim who died was a 19-year-old man. Now think about him. He's got his rights as a human being. And they got these people in there that have come in without any, they just flooded over the borders and they are over there killing people just willy-nilly. 
Okay, it was unclear if he knew the attacker, according to the police. Emergency services said three of the nine others have been seriously wounded in the attack. The guy was just going around randomly doing this, okay, which took place outside of a metro station in the city suburb of, and I can't pronounce it. Anyway, the attacker is a 33-year-old Afghan citizen who had applied for asylum in France, I guess he's not going to get it now, and was awaiting a response, according to a national police official. Here it comes. We've heard this every single time we've highlighted one of these. Every single time. Although we provided contradictory information to police, the attack did not appear to be terrorism-related. But his motive is unclear. Next article from the Times of Israel, another point on the same article, which we have seen in every single article when this comes out. Before any anything is decided, this is immediately, they say, it's probably not terrorism. That's the first thing they do when they have no background information. Here's the other one. Times of Israel, one dead, nine wounded, and knife rampage in France. The detained man claimed to be Afghan, but also gave at least two different identities, according to a security official. Here it is. The attack might have been terrorism-related, the official said, but authorities consider it more likely that the suspect was mentally unstable. Every single time this happens, because they do not want to admit that they have made a bad decision allowing these people to come in, because it's their nature. This is what their book teaches. It teaches to do these things. From the Washington Examiner, IAEA report raises suspicion Iran is hiding undeclared nuclear material. This is one of about four articles that show Iran is working against the JCPOA this week, but here's one of them. A forthcoming report from the IAEA has stoked concerns that Iran is hiding illicit nuclear activity. We read this language to mean Iran is hiding something from the IAEA that is relevant to its comprehensive safeguards agreement, which usually means undeclared nuclear material. A senior official with one of the nations on the IAEA Board of Governors said, that suggestion arose from the nuclear watchdog's latest report on Tehran's nuclear program, which leading European nations believe was defused by the 2015 Iran nuclear agreement. Europe is just completely blinded to what is going on over there. They're still supporting them, even though they have come out and said, we're not doing this and we're not doing this and we're not. And plus, they know that they're doing this, which they're not admitting. Europe is still trying to somehow keep this thing alive. Europe just thinks they're mentally Yes, they just think they're mentally unstable. But inspectors issued an unusual signal that the regime has stymied recent attempts to investigate potentially illicit behavior. The agency also reported that Iran is continuing to stockpile enriched uranium beyond the levels permitted by 2015 deal. The regime began public breaches of the agreement in July in response to the tightening of sanctions that President Trump renewed when he withdrew the United States from the pact in defiance of objections from the United Kingdom, France, and Germany. From Jihad Watch, Germany. Muslims complain about pig breeding. City bans it for fear of offending them. So, yes, they tried that. Remember they tried that in Texas a few years ago? I reported on that. These people moved in next door to a pig farm and then tried to get the pig farm moved. They said, you can't do that. And we're not going to do that for you, but Germany will. There you go. From Mongolia, R-F-E-R-L, Russia to sign landmark permanent treaty with Mongolia. This was earlier in the week. They have signed it. Russian president, remember, we just highlighted a month worth of our government going to Mongolia and making agreements with them. And now Russia's doing the same thing. You sh it shows you how important this nation is. Even though it's got a very small population, a big piece of land, it is wedged right between the two really 
important countries to be watching at this point in our history. Okay, so here we go. Russian President Putin will sign a permanent treaty on friendship and extensive strategic partnership with Mongolian president during a two-day visit to the East Asian country. The document builds on the existing 1993 Treaty of Friendly Relations and Cooperation and will have no expiration date. It will take our bilateral ties to a fundamentally new level. Infrastructure projects will be high on the agenda, including for the state-run Russian Railways company to upgrade the Ulaanbaatar Railway. This is an important transportation artery for Mongolia, Putin said. According to the Kremlin, bilateral trade between Russia and Mongolia last year increased by 21% over the previous year to reach $1.65 billion. In the first six months of this year, trade jumped by 11% to $800 million. So it's going up, it's going up. These countries see the importance of this, and you're not going to hear this on any other Prophecy Update, folks. Mm -hmm. Mongolia is where it's at. Okay, <laughs> Daniel 12 technology. Zero Hedge, U.S. Air Force can now turn small planes into robots. This is very cool. You got a Cessna? You want to turn it into a robot? You can do it, and you can do it very quickly. The Air Force Research Laboratory Center for Rapid Innovation and DZYNE Technologies completed a two-hour test flight of a new robot plane, the new revolutionary robot pilot unmanned conversion program called RoboPilot interacts with flight controls just like a human pilot. The robot manipulates the yoke, pushes on the rudders and the brakes, regulates the throttle, observes the instrument panel the same way a pilot does. At the same time, the system uses sensors like GPS and an inertial measurement unit. It's essentially a way for a machine to locate itself in space without a GPS for situational awareness and information gathering. A computer analyzes these details to make decisions on how to best control the flight. Once the flight is completed, RoboPilot can be quickly uninstalled from a plane. The system is the size of a pilot's seat, which includes all the equipment needed to control the aircraft, including actuators, electronics, cameras, power systems, and a robotic arm. RoboPilot is a non-invasive way towards robotically piloted aircraft, leverages existing commercial technology and components. Why would they want to do this? Here's why. It is a low-cost alternative compared to military drones that cost between 15 to $200 million. So you get an old Cessna that nobody wants, you buy it cheap, whip this thing in there, and now you have a, a drone. Great stuff. Mail online. This is 2B technology, but I thought it was kind of cool. I've got a beehive in my backyard. I love bees, except when I step on one and my <laughs> foot gets this big, as you've seen in the past couple weeks. But here we go. Sniffer bees are being trained to seek out landmines from two kilometers away as scientists trick them to think that the scent of explosives is nectar. Bees will be ready for their new role, which could save lives in just five to 10 years. Ross Gillanders, a researcher at the University of St. Andrews, releases bees near what could potentially be minefields. Once the bees are released, they will then land on the spot where the bomb is. You can train a bee by, based on uh, the nectar sensors in it to think that it is going after nectar and it can tell you where these landmines are. That's pretty cool. It is, you know, because those things are terrible, especially when a war ends and you want to clear the minefield. You, you got a couple of different ways of getting rid of those mines, and one of them, unfortunately, is for people to start working in the fields and getting their legs blown off. It's very sad. It's so, believable. It's what? 
Believable. Believable. Very good. I like that. You get a point for that one. Okay, from Revelation Plagues today, from Zero Hedge, I've never seen anything like this. China reels as pork prices explode to record levels. Exactly what we said was coming. Here it is. Pork prices in China have soared to record highs in the past two weeks. Why? Because they had the culling of all those pigs, and then they were selling everything they could before their pigs got infected, and so now they have a deficiency of pigs, and they, they live off of pork in China. That is their main, main protein. So here we go. Uh, let's see. Pressure on a government trying to contain food price inflation during the trade war with the United States, even as the country's producer price index posted its first negative print in three years, putting China in a bind. Contain soaring food inflation or stimulate the economy and risk an angry public backlash. Prices of China's favorite protein used in dishes such as lunchtime dumplings and spicy mapu tofu have surged 18% in China in just two weeks and are up more than 50% in the year. The cause for the price surge is well known. African swine fever, which has been raging across China and Asia, has decimated pork supplies. China's pig herd has fallen 32% on year in July, according to data released by the Ministry of Agriculture and Rural Affairs. Some analysts expect 2019 production could fall as much as 50% by the time the pig Ebola is contained. Meanwhile, China's pork imports have jumped more than 60% in the second quarter. But foreign supplies have been constrained or are more expensive, especially with Chinese tariffs on U.S. products. Beijing levied new tariffs totaling 50% on pork from the U.S. last year and in June suspended pork imports from Canada. So there you go. We'll see where this is heading. But this is something they included in the article. I didn't include it here. But they had said that about a year ago, somebody suggested, why don't you just infect the pigs over in China and that'll take care of the problem. And somebody made a joke about that. And it's actually proving almost like prophetic by that. So here you go from ABC. World's second largest Ebola outbreak now surpasses 3,000 cases. Okay, listen to the death rate, though. The second deadliest Ebola outbreak in history has exceeded 3,000 cases and 2,000 deaths. So it's two-thirds of the people that get this do die as the year-long epidemic continues despite access to an experimental vaccine and developmental treatments. A total of 3,004 people, as of this was earlier in the week, have reported symptoms of hemorrhagic fever in the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo since August 1st of last year, according to the Congolese health officials, and 2,899 of those individuals have tested positive for Ebola virus disease, which is transmitted through contact with blood or secretions from an infected person and causes an often fatal type of hemorrhagic fever. There have been 2,006 deaths so far, including 1,901 people who died from confirmed cases of Ebola. The other deaths are considered probable cases. So very sad what's going on over there. It's just, you know, a lot of it is, unfortunately, I don't read these things to you, but a lot of it is the people kill the people that are trying to treat them. They think that they're causing it. These doctors go in and they've killed doctors. They burn down the medical facilities. They refuse treatment because they're into animism and superstitions and stuff over there it's very sad so it's it they're not going to get it cured that way that's for sure morality today from life site it's this world I, it's just getting worse satanic temple head more than 50 percent of our membership is lgbtq 
Lucian Greaves, who runs the U.S. Satanic Temple, told the U.K.-based Attitude magazine from the start, when one of our early actions was the Pink Mass, a lot of LGBTQ people were looking for another community that didn't see them as defined by their sexual orientation. Within the Satanic Temple, we're all pretty much one and the same. We're all Satanists, and it's not like we have tolerance for trans people or gay people or other things I won't even say. We just don't care. And a lot of people in those communities appreciate that. The Satanic Temple has made a name for itself, campaigning against pro-life laws in the name of religious freedom and supporting the LGBT lobby. Our chapters are always involved with pride parades in the U.S. They're always doing something for the LGBTQ community, and they are always open about inclusion. Other recent activities by the Satanic Temple include erecting a statue next to a nativity scene in Illinois and bringing a giant statue of Baphomet, a half-man, half-goat creature representing the devil, to the Arkansas State Capitol. This is blooming. This is blooming in the United States of America. You know, it's just like reading the Old Testament in the Bible. What Israel was exiled for, what they were destroyed for, we're doing the same things. We've lost our heritage. We've turned our back on the Lord, and we will pay for it. We will pay for these things. Christian Post, Idaho must provide gender reassignment surgery to an inmate jailed for abusing a child. That's the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit Court has ruled that the state of Idaho must provide this gender reassignment surgery for this trans-identified inmate in prison for sexual abuse of a minor. In the 85-page ruling, the Ninth Circuit ruled that the Idaho Department of Correction violated the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution, barring cruel and unusual punishment. Can you imagine that? By refusing to provide gender reassignment surgery for a 31-year-old Audrey Edmo. NPR notes that the procedure could cost anywhere between twenty dollars and $30,000. It'll cost a lot more than that. I can't even imagine going and getting your toenails clipped for that in a prison nowadays. Idaho's Republican Governor Brad Little has vowed to take the case to the Supreme Court. I hope he does. We need to get this resolved because that, if once that floodgate is opened, everybody in America has got to pay for this type of thing. In style. You know, this is one of those things. I reported on this from Vogue magazine a week ago or two weeks ago. Every woman in this country ought to be offended at this. And you don't hear anybody complaining. Transgender model Teddy Quinlivan is the new face of Chanel beauty. They can't find a woman to be the beauty of Chanel. Instead, they have to have somebody that isn't even a girl that's dressed up like a girl. E.T. Online. Marvel's The Eternals will introduce the MCU's first openly gay character. Once again, every one of these things, we just got to push it out more and more, get it out there. We wouldn't have talked about these things a couple of years ago. We wouldn't have talked about them. They would not have been mentioned. And now they're coming out and they're just, oh, it's okay. It's one more thing. It's the new thing. Our other category. Zero Hedge. Blaine says we're heading towards a tragedy that will widen the divisions between East and West. Now, last week, Jack Colvin asked me to do a special on China. And I told him it's really hard because China has just been, it's like people said, why aren't you reporting on Syria when they started the Syrian war? It's because things change every 15 minutes. It's very difficult to report on something that has changed by the time you start speaking. Unless you have somebody live there and they do a report, you know, CNN or whatever, it's very hard. But I've pulled out some articles from China this week that I hope will 
you know, at least give you some perspective of what's going on there that are not really outdated already. I've reported on one, which is the pig Ebola, but here we go. I suspect that China's story is about to become more complex because of Hong Kong. I reckon we're heading towards a tragedy that will only widen the divisions between East and West. If the UK was truly smart, and I agree with this, we'd be offering the 170,000 Hong Kong people who hold British overseas passports UK residency rights. Realistically, the protesters have zero chance of achieving democracy, and they must know that. The protests are impressive, but poking a hornet's nest is never smart. Eventually, China will clamp down or the Hong Kong economy becomes irrelevant. The cynical position for the United States is a win-win. Pro-democracy protests will ultimately undermine Xi's authority, while precipitous action by China will allow the United States to claim the moral high ground. But the protesters will be very mistaken if they expect the United States to bail them out. Hong Kong isn't on the U.S. list, but is full of smart, well-educated U.K. passport holders who could be of great use here in the United Kingdom. Years ago, someone proposed the United Kingdom gives Hong Kong 100 square miles of otherwise empty land, and 50 years later, it would be the richest city in Europe. And I know that's true. I've lived in the Orient. I spent nine years, four months, and 15 days over there, and uh, actually in the service, so take off uh, basic training and six weeks of uh, technical school, and the rest of it was overseas. But I will tell you this. When I was in Malaysia, I lived in the Chinese district, and they are the hardest working people I've ever seen on this planet. People credit the Japanese that, listen, my wife's Japanese, I spent six years there. They work hard, but all of the time that they spend in Japan, even at the bar with their boss is considered work time. They might work eight hour days and they might spend 15 hours with their boss at the bar at night. That's all counted as time duty because they are with their boss. So just so you know, they work hard, but they're not like the Chinese, okay? A second thing, I've always said this, if we, went, we go into the projects every single Saturday of our life, and I often think this when I'm coming back from the recycle place because I get recycle, you know, I pick it up and throw it in the back of my truck and I uh, scrap it before I go to the projects and from there we have lunch money, okay? But I always say if I took, we'll say I get 60 bucks this week, if I took that $60 and gave it to a Chinese that was coming here with nothing, nothing, in five years he would have a business, he would have a car, he would have, you know, his cell phone, everything that he needed off of that $60. If I took that $60 and gave it to somebody in the projects, it would be gone by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There would be nothing, what's that? And nothing to show for it. And nothing to show for it. That is the way it is because we have dumbed down people in our projects to keep them there so that they will vote in a certain way. And it's very sad, and we try to lift them out of that. We do our best. But the Chinese are very hardworking people, and I have to agree with that analysis of that. Let those UK passport holders come to the UK and become citizens, and they will prosper greatly. Okay? From Fox, Graham, this is Lindsey Graham, accept the pain that comes with trade between the United States and China. He says, accept it. Senator Lindsey Graham said that the Democrats should not criticize President Trump for taking on China over trade as they, the Democrats, have complained for years about Beijing's policies but done nothing. Exactly. Every Democrat and every Republican of note has said China cheats. All of them. For the past 20 years, I've heard it. The Democrats for years have been claiming that China should be stood up to. Now Trump is, and we've just got to accept the pain that comes with standing up to China. From the Nikkei. Xinhua warns and is coming for Hong Kong protesters. 
China issued a stern warning. This is about the 10th, but eventually they're going to get tired of issuing warnings. So we'll see which one it is when they finally go in and take action. But to the Hong Kong protesters, as well as to the West, reiterating that it will not tolerate any attempt to undermine Chinese sovereignty over the city. The end is coming for those attempting to disrupt Hong Kong and antagonize China. The strongly worded message was directed at the rioters and their behind-the-scenes supporters, in quotes, which can be taken as an accusation of Western meddling. That said, their attempt to kidnap Hong Kong and press the central authorities is just a delusion, adding no concession should be expected concerning such principal issues. The warning came as thousands of people blocked roads and public transport links to Hong Kong's airport. The demonstrations which started in response to a proposed bill that would have allowed extradition to the mainland have morphed into a broader rejection of Beijing's growing control over the semi-autonomous city. The commentary said three lines must not be crossed. No one should harm Chinese sovereignty, challenge the power of the central authorities, or use Hong Kong to infiltrate and undermine the mainland. Zero Hedge. Hong Kong's lamb unexpectedly withdraws hated extradition bill. Stocks soar. So this bill that started this entire thing has been pulled, but that's not the end of the story. Killing the extradition bill is only one of five demands. Four more came up over the past weeks, articulated by protesters, so it's unlikely that meeting this one demand would end the protests entirely. But it will certainly help take the wind out of the movement's sails. Lamb didn't offer any indication that she would meet the other four demands. Hello, Miss Garrett. Good to have you. The prophecy update is almost over. Oh my Mail online. Yeah. Hong Kong police accidentally sprinkle themselves with pepper spray when the wind blows it back into them as they tried to disperse protesters. So you get a little pepper spray in your eyes and it's not so fun. They got themselves. I thought I'd include that kind of as a, as a Chinese irony. All right, from BBC, China's school attack. You know, we're talking about guns in America, and we know the truth about the guns in America. This is the safest nation on the planet for guns if you take out the liberal cities. Mm -hmm. Take them out, and we have the safest rates in the world. Maybe behind, I think there's one other country, Switzerland, I think it is, that might be a couple points of a percent uh, better than we are. But you take out the liberal cities, and we have the safest laws or the safest society in this world, okay? Now... This is a guy with a knife, and we've seen this before. Last year, a guy in China killed 40 people, I think it was, with a knife, okay? didn't They didn't make that news here in America because that would ruin their anti-gun agenda. But here's what it says. China school attack. This is so sad. Eight children killed at Hubei Primary. In school. Did you see this on CNN? No, of course not, because it doesn't fit their anti-gun agenda. But it says eight children have been killed in an attack outside a primary school in China on the first day back at school after the summer holidays. Police said they arrested a 40-year-old man at the scene of the attack in Hubei province in central China. Okay, the New York Post later identified it as a knife attack. So there you go with that. But New York Post, very conservative paper. Other than that, you're not going to really see this type of thing anywhere. From uh, BBC, Argentina imposes currency controls to support economy. They are really tanking down there. If you haven't been following Argentina, maybe it's time you start reading Argentina because they could bring the whole world down. They are having all kinds of troubles, and if they 
go into a bad place, they could bring the rest of the world down. Any little country could do this if there's enough involved with them, okay? But they're imposing currency controls to support the economy. From Fox News, Chicago's bloody Labor Day weekend, I'm sure this made all of the major news, okay? Sees at least 35 shot, seven of them killed. 35, seven killed. And you know what? You might as well just count all 35 as killed because the bullet hit him and you don't know if he's going to live or die, right? So the point is being made. You get rid of the liberal cities with their anti-gun policies and you'd have the safest country on the planet completely. But you have to leave them lumped in with us and all of these numbers go up very high. It's just very sad. And of course, they don't report this, but they report when it happens somewhere, you know, in a conservative area and whatever. Okay. From uh, ARS Technica. Dorian strengthens further, now tied for, anybody know? Second strongest Atlantic storm. Now, this was earlier in the week, This is, but the reason why I picked that is because if there is a second, that means there is a first. A first. That means this isn't a precedent-setting hurricane like they've been trying to say, global warming. Okay, here we go, listen to this. Allen, 1980, all of these are as strong as Dorian. Allen, 1980, three as strong as Dorian. Oh, that one was the strongest one, Allen, 1980, okay? Three as strong as Dorian. 1935, Labor Day hurricane. Anybody heard of that one? Okay, this tells us something. It's not global warming. It's that hurricanes hate American holidays. Okay, yes. The next one is Gilbert, same size in 1988, and Wilma in 2005. So we have four hurricanes there, that are stronger or as strong as this one, and they're blaming on global warming. And it goes back to 1935. Okay, and we've had hundreds of hurricanes since I was a kid. It's not anything new. It's the way of the world, and they're blaming it on global warming. It's an agenda to get your money out of your pocket and redistribute it to other people. Okay, I got a lesser here for you. See if you can tell what article we're talking of. He was once against clever design. Now he sees that it's truly divine. The guy teaches at Yale. God did him to unveil. Those that love Darwin also love swine. And then she added in, or he added in, I don't know which one did it, as in those of the Gadarenes region. Okay, the swine, the Gadarenes. Okay, so there you go. That was a funny one. I don't know if Les or Kathy did it, but it was, it was good. They gave me a couple, and sometimes I'm way long this week, so I only did one. But our irony of the week, I call this belay that hold up, okay? Belay that hold up. Mail online. Fastest arrest ever. Hapless crook tries to buy a drink using a stolen credit card with a cop standing right behind him in the queue. Belay that hold up. Okay, and then from WNEM, police, man's pickup truck stolen while he was robbing a store. Yes, such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is the Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.